0: We'll be over in Exodus 14. We're going to finish up some things from last week. And then we're going on over to Nehemiah. Uh, Daryl told me that some of your outlines are saying Nehemiah 14. If you ever see Nehemiah 14, that is not where we're at. We are in Nehemiah 4. Somehow a 1 got straight in on some of that. It's not in on mine, so I'm not sure where it came from. But uh must have hit a 1 somewhere. I wasn't seeing where the cursor was. But we're going to take a look at some more of this quality of being calm. Last week we were looking at about being calm when you are, when our trust is in Him. There's a calmness about us that we won't have otherwise. When surprises come, and we looked at how surprises came upon the life of Jesus, those surprises won't set you back, they won't steal your calm, and they won't cause you to speak out of fear. But you will wait, examine, listen, learn, and then speak. Be careful how quickly you speak. It's better to keep your mouth shut. We gave you that acronym of WELLS. Draw from the well, not from the surface. Wait, examine, listen, learn, and then speak. Isaiah 26 and verse 3 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. And then he gives a reason. Because he trusts in you. The enemy is trying to get you to not trust your God. Just like the enemy is going to try and get you not to trust the people that are around you. He tries to get you to not trust your children. He tries to get you to not trust your spouse. To not trust your friends. To not trust your boss. To not trust your co-workers. To not trust people you go to church with. Now, sometimes we have been taught to not trust. And at times that has worked out for us. I don't know if any of you can think about any of that, but one of the things my dad would teach us when we were driving, don't trust the other driver. always taught us not to trust them. And I still find myself looking at other drivers and saying, you're going to do this, aren't you? (laughs) I just I just don't have a whole lot of trust in them. Uh, but for the people that you know, the people that you are depending on, and the people that are around you, the enemy will try and get you to not trust them. Try and dis- disrupt that. Just as he does with, the, with God. He wants to get believers to not trust God. To not trust that the Holy Spirit is out here helping us. To not trust that God is able... To overcome. And so he will bring that about. And of course, in this story of Exodus, we have a lot of that going on with the children of Israel. They constantly had a trust issue with God. Now, as we said with this one, the trouble began far before the people knew they had a problem. They didn't know anything had changed. They didn't know that Pharaoh had decided to come after them. As far as they knew, they put Egypt behind them. They didn't know anything until it was suddenly upon them. Just because they found out what was going on does not mean their situation changed. Just because you don't know what is going on and what is to come does not mean that the knowledge would change it. If you need to know, trust that God will let you know. If you need to know ahead of time. There are times... That we need to know ahead of time about that. Remember, Paul in the book of Acts, he was known, let known ahead of time that the ship was going to encounter a problem, and he told it to the people. I perceive that our voyage will end in loss of life and of the ship. He was percept. He wasn't told anything. It was a perception. God had told him, "This is what's this is what's going on." Trust that God will let you know. Now, he got on the boat anyway, and so he still has to trust God. And they went through a storm that they could have avoided. Paul went through it too because of what they were doing. But just because you don't know that trouble is, is coming doesn't mean that knowledge will help you. So don't don't ever let not knowing something and it's suddenly springing up on you ever throw your trust in God. This is what the devil will say. See if God really trusted, if God really was trustworthy, if God really loved you, he wouldn't have let this happen. He would have told you about it. He would have done this. He would have helped you avoid it. Well, Jesus was in the midst of a storm, Paul was in the middle of riots. How many other things were going on in the Word of God? Daniel gets thrown into a lion's den. His buddies get thrown into a fiery pit. There are other things that, that are going on too. Don't ever let that throw your trust in God. So they have this thing coming up. They see that Pharaoh and his army is upon them. And they don't react well. Now as we saw last week, Pharaoh went out and boldness. He said, we're going to go get them. We're going to take them. We're going to bring them back just because you're bold about something does not mean that you're going to win that you're going to win there are some Christians who think well if I am bold in my faith then I'll win boldness has nothing to do with it boldness needs to be born of something what their boldness what the Egyptians boldness was born on was ignorance of God and they were bold but they were foolishly bold when uh, when little ones were growing up it tends to be more of a boy thing than a girl thing. I guess girls are just smarter. But, but, you know, boys, we can be extremely bold and stupid. I mean, we jump off roofs. We jump in front of things. We just do all sorts of stuff, and we just don't think about it. We just We're bold. But it doesn't mean that just because you're bold that you're protected, or that you're going to overcome. There are some times that our boldness has gotten us into trouble. And we have to be watching that. This is what happened to Pharaoh. Pharaoh was bold, but it did help him. It was based on on faith in something that was not true. They believed that they were greater than the Israelites and their gods. Picking up in verse 10 in Exodus 14, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and, behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. End. Now, sometimes when we see the word, but, we, uh, we get real concerned. But sometimes the word, and, can be just as detrimental. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Now, if they had just been afraid, they would not have been in near as much trouble. Just because you are afraid does not mean that you cannot operate in faith. You can. Now, the whole idea is to get rid of the, the, the fear, but the main thing about fear Is it's going to cause you to speak. It's the words that you say. That's what's causing the problem. So, if they had just stopped, so they were very afraid, period. We wouldn't have this much trouble. But it didn't. It goes instead of period, we got a comma. And an end. Don't speak out of your fear. You may have fear. Fear may come up. Don't speak out of it. Do not speak out of your fear. Do not speak out of your distrust. Keep the words quiet. Just don't say them. So they say these things to Moses. Why have you dealt so with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Verse 12. Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, now, how many think that Moses is going to speak out of fear? And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you. And you shall hold your peace. Now, Moses is speaking, if you remember the story, Moses is speaking from the words that God spoke to him. The Israelites are not speaking from the words that God spoke to them. They are speaking from the fear that they feel. There is a huge difference between speaking from the words that God spoke to you and speaking out of fear. This is what they did. So now they're second-guessing God's wisdom. Well, God shouldn't have brought us out here. Well, God can't deliver us. Well, God can't bring us to what where he said he would. And the Lord said, verse 15, And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. God, He he doesn't have a whole lot of uh, time for this. Why are you crying to me? Come on, move. I need you to go forward. Stop standing there. If you're crying about your situation, you're generally standing still. But God says, this is not the plan. My plan is not to deliver you by you standing still. I need you moving. He's got a plan. God had this plan worked out to help Israel before they knew they had a problem. God had already worked this out. In fact, he was actually saying, we're going we're to see these guys come. When they come, they're going to go and follow you because they're going to be bold. That takes like some boldness to walk into a red sea that is parted like no one has ever seen it before. I don't know that I want to do that. I'll take a look at some of those, uh, those surfing videos. Have you ever seen surfing videos? I see those guys get up on those surfboards. Girls too. I mean, guys and girls, are they're, they're both out there. They get up on those surfboards and they get on, under those monstrous waves. These are the waves that make them look small. I mean, one slip up one slip up. That wave will toss you around. Oh, man. And they just get up there, and, and for them it's fun. They just they just go to town. They can't respond in fear. You don't hear words of, oh, this is so big. Oh, this is terrible. Oh, I'm so afraid. You don't ever hear that from them. Of course, you would from me if I was out there. <laughs> I, like, I like waves, but... Um, you know, four to six feet. I like four to six feet waves. You know, they won't uh, destroy you. Twenty foot. Mm. Man. That is something. Well, let's go on here. So the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, so I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them, so it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to one, and gave light by night to the other. If we could only keep the, the understanding of this one verse in mind. What gives you light in this world gives the unsaved people darkness. That's one thing. If you could grab, grab hold of that, that would help you to understand the unsaved world. You hear something and it sheds complete light on your situation, on what's going on but the world hears it and it comes up darkness. It brings darkness. And you wonder, how can you not see this? Because the same God who eliminates your life when it's made known to the unsaved, they despise it and it brings darkness into their life. This is what happened here. It doesn't have to. If they would accept the light, it could bring the same light that it could for you, but they don't accept it. <clears throat> it's also a good thing. Because they can't walk in the understanding, because they can't walk in the light, they're not nearly the problem for you that they would be. Verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. Now, in case you're ever wondering, you know, how did God do this? I, I think we've, we're not really looking to cover this whole thing in depth, but just so you're not wondering about this, the actual Hebrew word means to gel. So if you take water and you gel it, what will we call it? Ice. It basically froze the water. That wind, when it came through, it dried the ground and it froze the water. So when they're walking through, they are not walking through, as some people want to think, with water that is just standing on either side. Some places have pictured this as rushing water. Water is just moving around. The water is not rushing. The water is not liquid. The water, according to the Hebrew, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I depend on people who, who do this. And they're the ones who tell me. It was frozen. And so what happened was it's froze for them, and they walked on through. And then as soon as the Egyptians start to get in there and get into the center, God allows that to just crack, and then you not only have the water coming, but if this is actually the way that it was, it's frozen, you now have water, And chunks of ice hitting you. Plus they're all wearing armor. This is why the, these big strong guys died the way they they did. Where do we leave off at? So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, chariots and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning, watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. And he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Now you know God does not change the will of people. He will not make people do one thing and then not another. He doesn't do it. He won't do it. All these people who go into an election say, well, God will put the one in. No, God does not make you vote for the people. I don't know how people uh, miss that. If he won't make you get born again, he's not going to change your vote. You vote for who you want. And then in the Old Testament, people in the Old Testament, they they voted for people that God says, that's not a good one. But they put them in power to to do things, and God would say, that's not good. That's not going to be a good one there. So just understand, that's not how God influences things. See, when he's here, when these these guys are driving, God will take chariots off, uh, chariot wheels off. God will get them stuck in the mud. God will do these kind of things. But he will not change their will. Now, right now, their will is what? The Egyptians' will is, let's get out. Is it going to happen? No. They are not. They are all going to die, and they will never come after the, the people of Israel again. He said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Well, now they understand. <clears throat> when you had the ten plagues, you didn't see God fighting for them? What is wrong with you people? But I just want to make sure we finish that, because you the main thing you got to see is the devil comes in, even though God is working. God saw the situation before it ever came about. God had a plan for the situation before the plan was ever needed. God was executing the plan even though the children of Israel couldn't see it and couldn't believe for anything. He was doing all this. He was bringing all all this together. The enemy worked inside of these people to get them to distrust their God and to speak things against them. Don't ever do it. Stay with God. Don't speak out of your fear. I'll go over to Nehemiah. This is the verse, the uh, chapter. I thought we'd cover more times than we had, but it looks like it has not been all that often. So we're going to look at it here today. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. But so it happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant. And mocked the Jews, and he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of the rubbish, stones that are burned? Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. You ever had unsaved people speak against the things that you're doing? And say all manner of evil things about it? Yeah, those words have no power until you put power in them. Don't do it. Don't put power into the things of what people are saying against you. So they're over here, they're they're mocking it. They're not believing that, uh, that God's going to do anything great here. That they're not going to do anything great. That this wall's not going to be built. This wall's not going to even stand if it does get built. And they're just saying all manner of things against it. Now, if you go back to chapter 2 and story before this, you'll find out that Nehemiah had a plan from God. He came to the to the city. He walks around the walls to see what if God wants us to rebuild this. What are we up against? What kind of things are, are going on? So he took kind of inventory of what they had, uh, what kind of work was was in front of them. He knew all this. It's not bad to check out what God wants you to do. Sometimes we feel like you know, if something's going wrong in your body, if you go to the doctor, you're not in faith. You can go check out what God is, what's going on in your body. That's not going to change your faith at all. You go to the doctor and say, Hey, Joe, I got this going on. Can you check it out? That doesn't mean you have no faith. If God says, don't do it, then you have a problem. Now, if you put all your trust in the doctor, then you have a problem. Don't do that. But you can go to the doctor. You can. He can tell you some things just don't let anything he says put you in fear and if you do have some fear that comes up don't speak out of it don't, don't say anything out of, the, out of the fear keep your mouth shut I'm not telling you all run out to the doctor and get everything checked out and you don't have to do that either I'm just saying if, if you want to go if you feel like you ought to go don't get that thinking well I can't do that because I'm a faith person and we don't go check things out No. Nehemiah, went, if you read the chapters before, he walks all around. He checks it all out. He finds out who he's got, what kind of materials we have, what we're, what we're looking at. He, he's got it all figured out before he ever approaches them, ever speaks a word about what God has had him do. But when you come into a place like Nehemiah does, he comes into here, he's going to rebuild the wall. And then people find out that you're going to rebuild the wall. When people find out that God has a plan that you're going to follow after the plan of God and then you begin to obey, you will make enemies. You will make enemies if you obey God. When you make enemies, I'll put it in your outline this way, when you obey God, you will make enemies of those that, and there's a couple of things here that will go on. First of all, you will make enemies of those that don't like you. There are some people who will become your enemy because they don't like you doesn't matter if God's on your side or not. They just don't like you. Don't raise your hand on this. But have you ever met people in the church that you just didn't like? And sometimes because I don't like them, they just rub me the wrong way. Whatever God tells them that they're going to do or they're going to do for God, we kind of say, ah... We just kind of get a bad opinion of that because I don't like them. Now, you have to have to work to get over that because God will sometimes call people to do things and you may not like how they do it and you may not like how they go about it. If you were in the Old Testament and you found some of the people that God put in to be king, you would say, I don't like this guy. They put in certain people to be, be priests. I don't like this priest. I don't like this prophet. I i dare say there are some people that if you met Ezekiel, you probably wouldn't like him. If you met Enoch, you probably wouldn't like him. If you didn't like them, you might like Isaiah. But if you liked Isaiah, you probably wouldn't like those other guys. There's different personalities in there. And for some of those personalities, You can, I can relate to this personality. Don't ever let relating to the personality affect what you receive from the person. Because God will pick all kinds of personalities. That's just what he does. So, when you obey God, you will make enemies of those that, first off, don't like you. Secondly, you will make enemies of those that don't like God. They just don't like God. Anybody who's going to do things for God, they're not going to like it. You will make enemies of those that oppose you or your cause. There's going to be people who are just going to oppose you. Whatever it is that you decide to do, because you are on God's side, they're going to oppose you. Or they're just going to oppose your cause you're out there for a certain cause, they're just going to oppose you because you're on this, on this particular cause. There will also be those people that you will make enemies that oppose God or His cause. So, just because people are in opposition to you doesn't mean it has anything to do with you. may have to do with your cause. may have to do with God's cause. may have to do with their relationship with God. All these kind of things can come in. So, don't be moved by it. Don't be surprised. You're going to have some people that are going to be enemies. It may have absolutely nothing to do with you. Just keep on going. Now those who mock you, I put this you, I want you to make sure you got this. Those who mock you may neither believe the words they say or care about the words they speak. They may say things and they don't believe them. They may say some things that they do believe but are never going to come about. Don't ever be moved by the words of enemies. Be moved by the words of God. How many times in the Old Testament do we see people that are moved by the enemies of God and not moved by the words of God? Just because they make threats. Don't listen to them. When the entire army was out there on the battlefield under Saul and Goliath came out and he said words, they didn't respond. They didn't step out. Only David did. And David spoke words out of faith of what God had said. Verse 4, Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall. The entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Now, you might want to take verses 4 and 5, write them on a 3x5 card, and put them on your refrigerator. How many have ever heard the prayers that people prayed like uh, Jesus on the cross? Don't hold this against them. Uh, hey, how about Stephen when he's being stoned? You know, Don't hold this against them. How many times do we find prayers in the Word of God? You know, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Don't hold this against them. And uh, somebody comes against you and you don't feel like praying that prayer. Have you ever had that where you don't feel like praying that prayer? I don't want to pray that prayer. Pray this one. Put it up on your refrigerator, and you can pray this one. Came from the word, right? <laughs> Do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. <laughs> how many how many can line up with that prayer? <laughs> you can relate to that? <laughs> oh man. See, not all prayers in the Bible were forgiven. This one was, uh, was not so. Those are, those are words they spoke. Those words were to provoke you. Nehemiah is not. He's still speaking out of the words that God gave him. That's what we need to do. Now what happened when Sanballat and Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored, the gaps were being, beginning to be closed, and they became very angry. Again, said he said that the people had a mind to work. They were working verse eight and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God and because of them we set a watch against them day and night. So they first they first try and do things to get people to stop working. They had a mind to work, we got to stop that. So they tried to say things, they tried to make threats. They tried to get people to be so focused on what God was uh, or what they were doing as the enemies that they wouldn't focus on what God asked them to do. When that didn't work and they didn't stop it on their own, then they began to, well, all right, got we got we to conspire on this one. We've got to plan together on this. We've got to come up with something. And so all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. The enemy loves confusion. They love confusion. They love throwing things out that you begin to believe and then throwing something else out. And then if you don't believe that for much longer, then they throw something else out and they get confusion. We've seen that a lot you know, in the last couple of years with some of the stuff that they're trying to promote, but this is not a new tactic. This is what the enemy does. It wants you to be confused. It wants you to think, well, if I do this, well, if I go this way, well, if I put this together, if this happens, and then when it doesn't, oh, well, then I don't know what I'm going to do now. When we get into, into confusion. No, just listen to God. Just listen to God and do what he says to do. And you'll be fine. You won't have to keep going back and forth. If you go through all this stuff that we're going on with the virus and all the masks and all that sort of stuff, there are certain people who have been doing the same thing since this thing started and other people who've been vacillating back and forth. God does not vacillate. He will tell you, do this and prosper. You'll also say, don't bother with that. That's not going to help you. Listen to those things. So, the enemy here is conspiring for a purpose. It's trying to create confusion. The enemy loves confusion. God does not. God looks to clear things up. He looks to uh, spread false facts. This is one of the things that the tactics they did here in Nehemiah. To spread false facts. To say things that were not true but to pose them as being true. Another one was to make empty threats. Oftentimes, the enemy will do this. This is not the only time, just what we're facing here. False news is nothing new. Empty threats, these are nothing new. This has been going on, and this happened here in Nehemiah. We had false facts, we had empty threats, and they promote ugly rumors. Because if people just hear the rumors, they respond. This is what the enemy wants to do. All the purposes is create some confusion. Then Judah said, verse 10, the strength of the laborers is failing. There is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. So they're making these threats. You're not going to see us, but we're going to come up, we're going to kill you. And this is what we're going to do. I heard. remember a story uh Brother Keith Moore would uh, pass on to say, because uh, his father and his father before him, they all died at 21 of a gunshot wound. And they were saying the same thing about him. If you ever heard him tell that story. Uh, you'll you'll be dead, You're know, just like them. You look just like them. And they kind of just proclaimed that, you know, you'll probably be dead before you're 21 too from a gunshot wound and um, they just, you know, they want you to get to, to respond out of this. And he kept feeling like the devil is going to kill me. The devil is going to kill me. And one of the things that came up in his spirit, because the devil was whispering things, you're going to die, you're going to die. Before you're 21, you're going to die. This is going to happen. And the Lord spoke this to him down in his spirit. He said, uh, uh, ask him why he hasn't done it so far. <laughs> the reason he hasn't done it so far is because he can't. The enemy will constantly make threats against your life that he cannot bring about until you embrace the fear, until you speak out of the fear that he's putting in your life. Once he does that, he can carry those things out. But he can't do it until then. If you understand that concept, you understand Job better. Because Job, there was a hedge about him that the devil couldn't get through. God did not let the hedge go. Job did. You do the study of the book, you find out Job let the hedge go. God had no part of it. Don't. Well, God was up in heaven. And he said, "No, you missed the story of the, of the of the of the book. You missed the purpose of the book. Don't have time to get into Job. But Job let the hedge down. It's right in the Word of God. What he did. Anyway, we need to go on. Job takes a long time. Verse thirteen. Now they were promoting fear. Letting people know no matter what, you may not see us, but that doesn't mean we're not there. We're going to sneak up on you and we're going to kill you. That's the whole purpose is to generate you in, in the fear because when you're fearful, you don't do the same thing. You don't have that same boldness. Verse 13, Therefore I positioned I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set people according to their families with their swords and their spears and their bows. What he did was he prepared The enemy does not want you to prepare for an attack. They want you to flee from it. Because the devil can't fight you. If you stand in faith, the devil can't win. So if you get prepared, you make yourself ready, come on, devil. You want to bring that? Come on. I'm ready for you. I got the word. I'm standing on the word. I'm speaking out of the word. See, he can't fight that. What he wants you to do is to turn tail and run. He wants to get you filled with so much fear. Because you just run. And how do you run? Well, you start crying out, Oh, God. Oh, I don't want to die. Oh, God, please help me with this. Oh, God, please do this. And we start begging God for things that we're supposed to speak to. We're supposed to to deal with ourselves. He gave us the the ability to do that. So he positioned men. He put people all along the, the parts of the wall, the openings. He set people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. He armed them. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. I actually put that part of the verse out in your bulletin. If you look at the front of your bulletin, you will see that. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. See, a lot of times we remember the Lord, but we're not seeing Him as great and awesome. Our God is great and our God is awesome. If the devil can diminish how great and awesome our God is, then he can gain an upper hand because you will become fearful. But Nehemiah is reminding them, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is, you can actually write that in there, who is great and awesome and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. He's telling them, this is what you're fighting for. This is what you're, you're going after the enemy for. This is what the enemy wants to take away. No, get up there and fight. Get up there and stand. Don't, don't forget to remind yourself, what are you fighting for? Now, Isaiah 26.3, is remind you of that again. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. The enemy needs to get your mind not stayed on him. So he's throwing all this stuff out. All these people are throwing things. We're going to attack you. We're going to to, uh, tear this down. We're going to affect your families. We're going to, all these things that they say they're going to do, starting rumors, throwing out threats. The enemy wants you to replace, do some replacing. He wants you to replace calm with fear. You stay calm, he's going to have a hard time moving you. You get in fear, you get a lot more jittery. I put this in parentheses, that's my thoughts in me. When your thoughts in you are stayed on him, you're calm. When they're not, when you embrace fear, the calmness leaves. The enemy wants you to replace greatness with unconcerned. He wants you to replace your view that God is great with a view that God is unconcerned. Remember the disciples in the boat we looked at last week? Master, don't you care? Remember Mary and Martha? Jesus, why didn't you care enough to come? More than that, you could find places like this. He wants wants you to replace greatness, the way that you view God, with unconcern. That's my thoughts of him wants to mess with your thoughts in you. He wants to mess with your thoughts in of him. Lastly, the enemy wants to replace fight with flee. Fight with flee. So the first one was my thoughts in me. The second one is my thoughts of him. The third one here is my actions toward them or the enemy. That's where he's trying to get you to change. The thoughts in me, my thoughts of him, and my actions toward the enemy. Now, just to kind of review here, the opposition from Sambalat, you can be summed up this way. In verses 1 through 3, we have a mocking. In verse 8, we have confusion. in verse 11, there's killing, threatened anyway. And it happened, verse 15, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So they had this plot, but it didn't have the effect. They wanted them to just not do the work. Now here, just looking at the natural standpoint, putting aside, the spiritual standpoint. If you know the book of Nehemiah, if you don't, we'll, we'll let you know about it. But who authorized the work on the wall? Is it Nehemiah? No. Is it the king of Israel? No. It is king of Persia. In fact, he financed it. He authorized it. Now the people that are threatening the people that are there to do the work, are they for or against the king of Persia? Well, they can't be for them. If the king of Persia said, go and build the wall and they have come to build the wall then the temple, I was in there too, they've come to build the temple and the wall that the king of Persia wants the wall built. So these people are coming against the king of Persia. The king of Persia is the law of land. It's not like he's got to approve anything. All he's got to do is say, make it so. And it was. That's all you got to do. He didn't have to go through any red tape. If he wanted something done, he just wrote the law. And that was it. What you can do when you're a, a king like that. So they're going against it. They're going against things that are legally declared to go on I'm sure in this country we can never understand that there are people that go against things that are legally supposed to go on Right? these people that want to go against in the natural what is legal and what is supposed to go on want to generate fear in the people that are doing what is legal and what is right isn't that amazing And want you to be in fear because you're doing what's right. Because you're doing what the law said. Hmm. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, wore the armor, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction And with the other hand, they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. So what he's done here, he had 100% of his workforce working on the wall. But then we had all this stuff coming in from outside. So this is what he did. He reduced his workforce to 50%. And now he's got 50% of them standing guard. I guess they may have rotated on that. Of the people that are working on the wall instead of having both hands working on the wall they now have one hand holding or near a sword so they can go in, in the battle. How many know that would slow you down? I could slow you down a little bit. They have it girded at their waist. How many have ever tried to do anything with a sword girded at your waist? kind of slows you down a little bit. Now, I can relate to that a whole lot because when I go out on a, a bunk bed setup in a in delivery, uh, when I'm putting the bunk bed together, I have a little holster that I clip onto my belt to hold the drill because you need to drill. The drill is so important in the installation of the bunk bed that I take two. Just in case one brokes, one never has. Been doing this for over 20 years, never had a drill break in the middle of but I always, every single time I go, no matter how small of a job it is, I have two drills in the car. The one that stays in the car, I never bring it out. It just stays in there. And if I ever need it, I come out and get it. Never have. I still take it with me. But I've got this on the, the, on the holster, and it's right there, so that I can line up the things with both my hands. And then while it's there, I just reach over, I grab the drill, tighten it up, and then go put it back in the holster, go over to the other side. Because otherwise you're always fumbling for the drill. I got the thing in the right spot. Where's the drill? Oh, it's over there. <laughs> and then you had to let this thing go to go over here and get... No, no, you put it right in here. And so I have that, but I, I put the whole bed together. And one of the techniques I use for this is I put the whole bed together loose. Because I got these big, giant, bunkie boards that I had to drop inside. And it's better when it's loose. But when I'm bringing in those big, bunkie boards to drop them in... It, this gets in the way, all the time. It's in the way, and so I always take this off, set it down somewhere near the bed, and then I go haul that thing in there, put it up in the spot, drop it into its place, and then I go get the drill, and we start to uh, to tighten some things up. But I know what it's like to try and do that with his on. It's 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 hard. It gets in the way. It sometimes will fall out, land on your foot or something like that. Get uh, get could get hurt. So I. I don't do that. So now what you're doing is you went from a place of having 100% of the people putting both hands on the work to a place where 50% of the people are putting less than two hands on the work. How many of y'all know they got slowed up? But it still is getting done. They could cry and complain about this going on, but they don't. No? Alright, we gotta, here's what's going on. Let's make, uh, let's make adjustments. Let's do what we need to do. And what's really neat about this is that these people are now more interdependent than they were before. My peace about working on the wall comes about because Joe, George, and Sam are down there with the swords and guarding this. So I don't have to be as mindful of watching out for who's coming because I got somebody and they're watching. They're watching for me and so I can focus more on on what I'm doing here. But I got my sword right over here in case I need to go reach for it. If, if Sam yells, I'll, I'll be able to join them join them down there. So, they're not responding to the fear. They're still getting the work done. A lot of times Christians they, we throw out excuses to God. Well, God, I was trying to do it, but you know, this was going on and Nope, find a way to get it done. And then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. We labor, So we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At that same time, I also said to the people, Let each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be guard by night and working party by day. Doesn't sound like it's a whole lot of sleep time. So neither I, my brother, and my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. <laughs> Not sure why you need to state that in there, but <laughs> you get the. Uh, they stayed ready. They're working on this thing. We're going to get this done. You see, the sooner they get the wall built, the safer they are. If we can get that wall finished, We've got a barrier and we've got safety. That's why the people in these days built walls for the for the safety of them. So they focused stayed focused on the problem. So problems are seen. Problems are solved. They didn't just go through a blind continuance. Well, we just won't we'll just pretend that's not going to happen. We'll just pretend I don't have that going on. We'll just pretend I don't feel that. Nope. They saw the problem and they stepped out there to do something with it if the people didn't remain calm but reacted to the opposition they may have fled the work and it wouldn't have gotten done they may have built the wall poorly so the wall wouldn't stand that's one of the threats they said may never have completed the wall to make them safer and they may not have accomplished or they may have accomplished exactly what the enemy desired, and that is to leave the enemy wants you to speak words about your life from fear and not from the Word. That's why you've got to learn the Word. You've got to get into the Word. You've got to learn the Word is the most important thing because it's what God spoke. If you speak words that are um, empowered by the Word of God, they have power in your life. They have power on this earth if you will speak them. You need to speak them. Uh, t- too many Christians are always going to God. Oh, God, take care of this. Oh, God, i got this problem. Can you help me? Oh, God, will you do this thing over here? No. You need to take the Word of God that He gave you, He armed you with the Word, and speak that Word against the thing that's coming against you. This is what Nehemiah does. He doesn't go up there, Oh, God, please stop these people from being so mean. He doesn't say, Stop these people from trying to kill us. He sets things in order to make sure that it's done. Speak those things. Speak out of the out of the word. If you saw my little Facebook post I put up there, that's more of a out of some disgust that was going on. I was reading one of my one of the uh, uh, church leaders' emails that I get. It tells me about different things or, that are happening. And I read this one. If I told you the guy's name, you would know him. Oh my word, you would know him. These are people that lead these mega churches. I mean, super large churches, and actually wanted to promote with people. We cannot get people saved on the word of God. We need to get them saved on the concept of Jesus or who Jesus is. My first thought when I heard, and I went back to the actual teaching and I listened to him say it. I'm not telling you that I heard something somebody wrote about him saying. I mean, I went back to the teaching and I wasted an hour of my life listening to him go on about this so that I made sure that I had it down right. This is a major leader, one of the major leaders in our, in our country and said, actually made this statement, we need to disengage, and I'm changing the wording enough so that you don't go out there and search for them. <laughs> we need to dis- disengage from the Old Testament just as the New Testament disengaged from the world. And he did say it. He felt that, that was uh, the Old Testament is a hindrance. And we shouldn't be putting plaques of the, old, of the Ten Commandments up on walls, and we shouldn't be looking to, to the Old Testament. He actually just wanted us to kind of cut it out. I saw one person, they put a, a comment up about his, uh, his thing. He said, if you keep going on and cutting out the Word of God, you won't have anything to preach from. <laughs> but you see, if you start preaching to Jesus to unsaved people apart from the Word, then Jesus can be anything you want. There's no standard. It's just the Jesus that you want. The Jesus that you're comfortable with, the Jesus who accepts everybody, the Jesus who doesn't judge, the Jesus who won't come back like Revelation says and judge the world. There's an awful lot of people that are that are getting out there. Now I read more stuff than that. That is the mildest one. If I said some of the other ones, you would actually be able to figure out who it was that I'm talking about, and I don't want to. I'm. I've still got a little shock reading these these things because uh, we're getting, too many are getting away from the Word of God. It is our light. If I don't understand the word, I can't speak from it. If I can't speak from the word, I can't combat the enemy. You don't combat the enemy by praying to God. You find one time that Jesus combated the enemy and said, Oh Father, no." He spoke the word. He did something. He operated. Constantly, this is what he did. That's what Paul did. That's what Peter did. That's what John did. This is what they this is what you do. Understand the word. Learn the word. Understand the word and speak the word into your situation. That's how we combat. And the enemy does not like that. Just like he didn't like what was going on here with Nehemiah. We gotta stop that. We've got to put the put that to put that to bed. Now, don't do the work of the enemy for them. Don't do the work of the enemy for them. The enemy is going to try and get you to do the work for them. He's going to try and get you to stop proclaiming the word of God. He's going to get you to stop speaking into a change into your situation. He just wants to get you to stop it. If you, can, If he can get you to stop speaking change into your situation, and he can get you to instead be praying to God, oh God, please change the situation, oh God, please change this, oh God, please make this pain go away, oh God, please make this number go up, oh God, make this that's not how we do it, that's not the example in the word of God, now I've said this to you many, many times, you go through the word of God yourself and find out, tell me one time that Jesus prayed for the sick go through the, in fact, going home read the four gospels tonight before you go to bed and and find one time where Jesus prayed for the sick. He does not ever, not single time, not one time pray for the sick. He speaks to the sickness. He speaks to the demon spirits. He spoke to the sickness. If that's how Jesus did it, that's how we're supposed to do it. When the disciples were dispatched, when the 70 were dispatched, they went out and they did what Jesus told them. So it's not just him. They didn't pray to God. They spoke to the situations. They came back and said, even the demons are subject to us in your name. That's how they dealt with sickness. That's how they dealt with demons. That's how you deal with it in your life. The enemy wants you to feel like what you're doing isn't working, isn't changing anything. He wants you to start to panic instead of being calm because when you panic, you do bad things. You do wrong things. You don't want to do that. You ever? And I haven't watch any of those uh, horror movies but I've seen uh, some of the commercials. One of my favorite commercials on the TV some years ago, you all probably saw this, was the Geico commercial. <laughs> and you got the group of kids that are running away from the chainsaw murderer guy. And so they, and they all go, yeah, let's go hide in the garage with all the chainsaws or something along those lines. <laughs> and the, the one, uh, one girl speaks up and says, why don't we get into the running car? <laughs> I just love the way she executes that line. It was just, it was beautiful no, 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 we can't do that. And so they all go, and, the, and you see the chainsaw murderer there, he goes, are you kidding me? You just went into the place with all the saws? <laughs> see, when you panic, you make bad decisions. And that's really what the commercial was about. You panic, you make bad decisions. When we panic, we make bad decisions. When I get to the point where I feel like, oh, no, I'm going to die. Oh, no, this is going to happen. We make bad decisions because we're panicked. Stay calm. Trust in God. God just came up and hit me in a surprise. But you're not surprised. You saw this coming. Just like you saw the Egyptians coming before the Israelites ever did. You saw this happening. Just like you saw the famine coming before it ever arrived. And you got Joseph ready. Just like you saw what Herod was going to do before he ever did it. And you told Joseph, Leave. And you can keep on going. I mean God, if He sees something up ahead that you need to move from, He will tell you. If you didn't if He didn't tell you to move, I guess you're okay. Just rest in that. Trust in God. The enemy wants you to think you're going down in the boat. The storm, the waves, it's taking you down. And God doesn't. Jesus got up from the boat. Remember what he said? Where is your faith? How is it you're speaking out of this fear and panic? It will never help you to speak out of fear and panic. We mentioned this to you last week too, but Jairus, when he heard the news, Jesus said to him immediately, do not fear. Do not fear. He's about ready to probably say something out of that fear. But he, he shut his mouth you will do far better not saying a word than you would if you said words out of your panic. And I even—I don't even just mean fear words. I mean words out of panic going before God. Oh, God, oh, God, please help me with this. That, that's not going to help you. God says, speak to it. Don't sit there bailing waves. Speak to your situation. What's your situation going on? Well, what's the Word of God say about it? Then speak those words. Keep speaking those words. I made this comment to you before. It's not new to me. I think it was our Brother Cussell the daughter who's, who first uh, I heard it from. But your words are the most powerful words in your life. Your words. Not God's. The most powerful words in your life are yours. Your words will supersede the power of God in your life. You can prove that from the Word of God, and we've shown this to you. The Israelites, whose words won out? Israel's, we're going to die in the wilderness, or God's, I'm going to take you to the promised land. Whose words won? In the life of Jeroboam, whose words won? God who said, I will make of your house an enduring house like I made of the house of David, or Jeroboam's? Jeroboam's. And you can keep on going down with a whole lot more of uh, of examples there. Your words are the most powerful force in your life. Not your spouse's word, not other Christians' words, your words. Yeah, well, I got these other Christians; they've been pronouncing a curse on me, or they've been saying these things about me. I don't care. Remember when um when Jesus when he gets to the house of Jairus, and they got all the mourners. That what they did was they hired mourners. You would hire people there as professional mourners. You know, they have a house of mourning. You go over there and you pay them a fee. And they would bring people over and they would mourn, help you mourn. I mean, they don't feel anything, but they could cry. And they'd cry out and they have all these mourners around. And Jesus came on here. All these mourners were here already. And so he, yeah. notice what he does. He does not tell them to be quiet, he puts them out of the room. You don't need all the people in your life that are saying nasty things or declaring terrible things in your life. You don't need them to shut up. All you need to do is get them out of the room. Just don't listen to them. Just don't hear them. Just get them out of the room. We're here to do so. Whatever you do out there, I don't care because you're powerless. Your words have no power. My words do because they're based on what God spoke to me. You speak those things out and you'll change it. If you stay calm, you'll accomplish this. If you start to panic... You do, you do bad things. What well, if you have a person in the ocean and they drowned, does anybody know what the number one cause of drowning in the ocean is? It is panic. And in fact, some of these people are so panicked, the lifeguard goes out to save them. And what do they do? They almost drown them. And so they train the lifeguards how to be very forceful with the people and almost rough. But they have to because if they don't preserve their own life, they will not be there to help them. And so they have those a uh, little uh, floaty thing that they carry. They actually are trained on how to use that as a weapon. <laughs> if, you need, if you need to, to get that person to be uh, subdued. And uh, they, they generally turn them around. They want to get them so that their, their hands aren't able to grab hold of them and pull them down under the water because they they're in such panic. This is what they will do. Panic doesn't help us won't help you with God. The more mature that we are, the less we panic. The more that we just are calm. Nope. I've been through this before. I'm not going to get upset. I'm not going to get anxious. Calm down. What's the Word of God tell me? What's the Word of God say? Remember that video from uh, Brother Jesse some some weeks ago? He told the, the people on the plane... Remember your training. I love that line. Remember your training. Get trained up in the Word of God and remember the training when you need it. Don't let it go. Keep that training going. In calmness, we will continue the work of God. In panic, and terror, we will do the work of the enemy. You don't want to do that. I think I said this to you last week, but panic is a sign that your trouble is beyond where your faith and trust should be. If you hit a situation and you begin to panic, it is because your trouble is beyond where your faith and trust should be. The reason people panic in the water is because the water got above where they could be. I can, I can be okay in four foot water but not 14 foot water. And they begin to panic. Now the reason that your faith is not ready, the reason that you're not in a place where calmness will prevail instead of panic is because you had situations that came up, and you missed the opportunities to get you ready. Well, you missed those opportunities, but take the ones that are coming. No matter how small the thing is, learn to not panic. Learn to stay calm. Well, let's just stay calm. Let's just think about what's going on here. Let's just evaluate what's happening. All right, let me listen to my spirit. So my spirit is telling me to do? What's the word of God that comes up on the inside of me? I can speak that out. These are the things that you want to do. That's what changes your situation. So you may feel panic, but until you speak from it, you haven't really gotten off track. Just don't speak from that panic. I told you before, steadfast is about me not being pushed off. Patience is about me not moving myself off. Got all that inner you know, if things going on, I move myself. Calm is about not speaking words and running off. Calm is about not speaking words of running off. People that are panicked, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. Oh, I need to go. Oh, I need to get out of this. Oh, I need to get into, into that. When you're calm, you don't speak words of running off. You don't start speaking words. These things don't come out of your mouth. You don't start saying... Oh, if the price of gas goes up anymore, I will. Oh, if the price of groceries in the store goes up anymore, I will. No, don't speak out of that. What should you speak out of? What's the Word of God say on that? God says, I will supply all your need. Father God, you supplied the the people in Israel when they had no place to go and buy bread. You took care of when, when things in the city were so high, you came and said a word said, tomorrow you're going to be able to buy things for cheap. Just, just trust God. Don't speak out of the panic. That's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to start speaking things like, oh, if they keep this up, oh, if this keeps going on, oh, if it gets any higher. Oh, I heard somebody say he's going to get to $7 a gallon. Oh, no. Oh, if it gets up to that, I won't be able to do. Don't speak out of panic. Just, just keep speaking out of supply. Father, I thank you. Whatever I need to do, you will help me get there. You will help me to do it. I thank you for the wisdom that you give me in navigating through these these things that I'm not aware, uh, that I, I've not gone through before. But I thank you that you help me. I thank you that your wisdom is there to guide me. I will not be left by myself. You are the God who cares. Speak out of those words. Speak out of calm. The world may be going nuts around you. That's alright, let them go nuts. They don't have a God like we do. They don't know that our God is as good as He is. Isaiah 26, 3. Y'all all know this verse before we came here on Sunday. You keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because He trusts in you. Three things to that verse staying in perfect peace, keeping your mind stayed on Him, and understanding. The trust factor. I trust my God. If you want the perfect peace, you got to have the other things going on too. You can't just say, Oh God, give me peace. Nope. There it is. You keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Not stayed on the price of gas. Not stayed on the price of bread. Not stayed on the price of food. Not stayed on the price of whatever else is going on in your house. None of that. Your mind is stayed on Him. Just stay calm. Just stay calm. What happens a lot of times in the past is we hit a situation and God's looking at the situation. He says it's going to be about three weeks. But we look at it as an eternity. And we start reacting because the devil's feeding us. This is going to last forever. It's never going back to the way it was. This is how it's always going to be. And I begin to react according to the words the devil feeds me. I begin to panic or speak out of that fear. So, Just you know, just start start talking back to him. Devil, you couldn't keep this thing up. You know it. You're just trying to get me to respond to it now. You can't keep this thing up at all. Uh uh-uh. uh. I'm not buying into it. I'm not doing it. Not going that way. I don't know what the price of gas is going to be in the in the next month or five months or a year, but I do know that about two years ago, I think it was about two years ago, that the price of the barrel of oil was so cheap that many of our places here in this country were having a hard time pulling it out of the ground because they were not getting enough. In fact, it had gone down so much that the uh, uh, Saudi Arabia folks decided to try and do some things to cause the price to go down more. And they actually apologized to us from what I'm told. They apologized to us. They were not targeting you all. Because at that point, there were three big oil producers in the world. Russia, Saudi Arabia, and the U.S. In fact, I think believe that we, uh, we went past all of them. But fracking is a more expensive way to bring the oil out. And so if you, if $40 a barrel, I think you lose money. If it's $40 a barrel, you will lose money bringing oil out of the ground through the process called fracking. So they were looking to have to cut that part of it back. But Saudi Arabia was doing this. They were trying to get Russia out of the business. And it didn't quite work, and and Russia continued to go on. And so there was a number of things that had gone on. If you wonder why, anybody remember that uh, um, Russia invaded Crimea in 2014 under uh, then-President Obama? If you ever wonder why they didn't continue to go on and move in, I was just told, I just found out some of the the details on this recently. There are pipelines that go through the Ukraine. Those pipelines is what Russia uses to sell their fuel to other areas of Europe, Germany and uh, I don't know all the countries that they sell it to. Um, When Trump was in, he was making a big stink that Germany was making a contract with Russia when they wanted us to help defend them. He didn't think that was right. You're giving them money for buying their fuel, but you want us to defend you? He didn't didn't like all that. But anyway, (laughs) they couldn't move into that. So what happened was they decided to make plans to take... Anybody ever heard this? They decided to make plans to take the uh, pipelines and put new ones in that would go through the sea instead of over the land. And so when this happened, this was was occurring under the Trump administration. And so what happened was there was a bill that was... uh, put forth, I believe Ted Cruz was one of the sponsors on the bill. They put the, the bill out there. It was passed in the Senate, it was passed in the House, and it was signed by then President uh, Donald Trump. And what this bill would do was it was going to put sanctions in place if they did not cease and desist building that under the water uh, uh, pipeline. So that put that to a, that squashed that. Four days after Joe took office, they started to build it again. And uh, I forget how many days it was that Joe decided to, by executive order, cancel what was passed by the House, what was passed by the Senate, what was signed by the President. So that the sanctions were bypassed and never went in. That opened a door for Russia to finish the pipelines and no longer need the pipelines that were in Ukraine. So if they go in and they f- they take the rest of the territory, if their bombs destroyed any of the pipelines, it wouldn't affect their economy. I didn't know until recently that that change is what caused some of this thing to go go about and to uh, to bring this bring this on. But we were one of the most one of the largest oil producers. We were exporting oil. We were not having to import it. We were exporting it. But of course, um, on the day that uh, Joe took office executive orders were signed that stopped the production of oil in MR, that stopped the oil um, pipeline that was being built, and um, uh, there was one other thing that was done immediately that uh, that caused all that production to go go down. But um, that is not the case. We have plenty of oil here in this country. We don't have to import it from anyone. I heard figures on this, uh, and I, I may not be remembering them correctly, but I think it was around this, this area, that in the Anybody remember? uh, I was about a decade ago, or maybe more, when they found that huge oil reserve in the Dakotas. Huge oil reserve in the Dakotas. There were. uh, uh, Anybody remember that? A couple people remember. I I was told, if I'm remembering it right, 500 billion gallons of oil in the Dakotas. Then, sometime I didn't hear about this when it happened. I just heard about this one recently in Denver, underneath the Rocky Mountains they found another reserve that's even bigger. I believe it, exe- it goes over a trillion barrels of oil is estimated to be under that. That's two spots. Then you have Amor, you have Texas, you have even Pennsylvania that's uh, doing oil, the the offshore uh, drills, drilling that goes on. Some of that's on government land, some of it's on private land. And Joe, of course, he suspended by executive order the development of the uh, 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 government lands, stopped the leases on it. Mm-hmm. So that has cut production, and all that. These are the things that drive the prices up, and allows the other two producers to pr- put the price up. There's less competition, um, stuff like that on the on the market. And so we are we are no longer an exporter of oil. Now we are an importer of the of the product. And so this is what uh, causes the, this to come about. But if you just tally just those two, you have uh, almost two, uh, probably near two trillion. And I was listening to a show, got me so mad. Oh, I got fire mad. These are conservatives. These are people that should know better. And this one lady got up there like an expert and said, "We have—I uh, think her finger was—35 billion barrels of oil in the United States." I said, "What? That is," and no one challenged her on this uh, figure. So uh, just understand, we have more oil than is here. And here's a real study factor not everybody is aware of. Do you know that we have drained some of those oil reserves dry, pulled out all the oil that was there, and then when they went back to them, there was more? The oil is being produced by this earth. It is not a limited supply. It makes the stuff. And I know I've said this to you before, too. More oil leaks from the ocean floor into the oceans than we have ever spilled. And the, you know what the ocean does with it? It eats it. It eats it up. It never does any damage because the oil is, dis- is consumed by it. And I'll prove this to you. Remember down in Florida when they had the big, uh, uh, the big thing that broke, the uh, offshore oil well, deep sea oil, oil rig? And it broke and it left all that oil and everybody's telling you, oh, it's going to be detrimental. When that oil comes to the surface, it's going to do this and it's going to do that. and It's going to uh, just kill people. And Anybody ever see it come up? Huge uh, bunch of oil all in one spot before they can get the thing closed off. Did it ever affect any of, uh, of the sands in any of the beaches? Anybody ever hear of it? No. You know why? Because the ocean consumed it before it ever got to any place. Ocean is very caustic and you break down a lot of stuff. And it actually breaks down oil. The problem comes in is when you dump a whole bunch of it on a shallow area and the ocean doesn't get a whole time, a time to work on it and it hits the shore. And that's when you see all that uh, that kind of problem. But more o- more oil leaks from the ocean floor than we have spilled. And this is just going on. It just seeps right on through the ocean floor. It comes right on up. God made oil. He made it for us. He knew that we would tap into it eventually and how it would work and what it would do. And he made this earth able to handle all the things that we do with it. It's just certain people who want to tell you things. Don't believe them. Don't buy into them. I don't know how long they can keep this uh, price sustained. More than likely, it gets up there high enough. You're going to have enough people in this country who have access to do these things like they did before and they say, that's too much money for us to be laying on the ground. We are going to develop it like we were before. I imagine we're going to hit that level in there sooner or later. But um, till then, don't let words come out of your mouth that are panic-filled. Don't speak out of fear about what is to come. God is aware of what has happened. He is aware of what is happening now. And He is aware of what will happen. I am not. I may be aware of some things that have happened. I may be aware of some things that are happening. And I may even be aware of some things that may happen in the future. But God knows it all. He is great and He is awesome. Keep that in mind. Our God is great. Our God is awesome. And nothing that this world throws at us is going to cause me to panic, cause me to fear, cause me to lose my trust in my God. Would you all stand up? Father, we thank you. That you are a great and awesome God. We sing about how great and awesome you are. We read about how great and awesome you are. We read about the wonderful works that you have done in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we know that you are a great and awesome God. Sometimes we face things in life. And the enemy wants us to believe our God is not as great and awesome for us as he is for others. For our God is not as great and awesome now as he was before or whatever the reason to get us to distrust to not have that confidence and then to begin to speak words based on fear based on panic because he knows it's the words that come out of our mouth that empower him against us but we won't empower him we will empower the Word of God. Once we come to the understanding that every word we declare with our mouth is either empowering the things of God or empowering the things of the enemy, we will be more careful about the words that we speak, the words that we say. We will be more diligent to study your Word and to get it in us so that when we speak, we speak the words that you have said. When we act, we do the things that you would do Model ourselves Jesus, Father. I thank you for the changes that you are bringing in our life. No matter what the enemy wants to throw at us, we will not overcome. The people of God will hang on to the words. I thank you, name of Well, thanks all for making an out here today. We are uh, scheduled to have the prayer class.